Hello and welcome back to the Literary Salon podcast. It's me, Damien Barr, bringing you another book of the week. And by the way, it's summer here in the UK, relentlessly summer, and I have been spending a lot of time hiding indoors with a book. And do you know what? I don't feel guilty about it and you shouldn't feel guilty about it either. So banish the voice that is saying to you, you need to get outside because it's sunny. I know this is just me processing my issues. Obviously, my mother spent a long time telling me to get outside and play when I was a wee boy, but I don't have to do that now and neither do you. So if you want to stay indoors and read, do that. And to that end, if you're looking for something to read, I can recommend no book more highly than our book of the week this week. It's a collection of essays called Black Girl, No Magic by Kimberly McIntosh. It's her first collection and it's published now. And basically, well, it's one of those books that I just want to press into the hands of everybody because it's one of those books that I feel that regardless of who you are, it's going to make you interrogate your identity and think again about your sense of self and your place in the world. I know this sounds very esoteric, we'll get into the details in a minute. So it's about, uh, it's personal essays, which, you know, it does seem like Americans are often better at than we are here in the UK. Um, But this is a collection of personal stories and interrogates race and class and the intersection of those two identity features here in the UK. Kimberly McIntosh is a writer and a researcher. She has written for The Guardian, Washington Post, Independent, Metro, Vice, all sorts of places. I first found her work in Vice and she was a regular columnist at the brilliant and much missed Galdem. She's also a trustee at Wasafiri, which is a British quarterly literary magazine covering international contemporary writing. And if you haven't read Wasafiri, then go and check it out. So anyway, so I knew who Kimberly was and that's why I was excited about the collection of essays. So it's really entertaining, it's very frank, it's very funny. And it feels like sitting down and having a conversation with somebody who has had a bit more therapy than you um, and who is smarter than you and they're just being really honest. So it's like sitting down and having a coffee with her basically. Now that conversational tone is really hard to achieve. It's one of those things that's beguiling because I know as a writer that, you know, to to have that kind of simplicity on the page means that you have to do a lot of drafting and redrafting and really thinking about what it is that you want to say. So she talks about the myth of meritocracy. Yes. The role of chance in our success or our lack of success and what we lose in the adoption of respectability politics. And this is something that's been talked about a lot in different communities right now, particularly in the LGBTQ plus community, but in, in all sorts of communities. And respectability politics is the idea that to achieve social mobility um, or to even just pass safely, a marginalised group needs to abandon certain aspects of their cultural identity in order to assimilate to the mainstream. So. It's something that I personally have been thinking about a lot and I know that a lot of people in my world have been thinking about and this discussion of it is really interesting. So anyway, um, Charlie Brinkhurst Cuff, who is the writer and managing editor of Skin Deep, has described this book as a glowing achievement by one of the best essayists of her generation. (gasps) So here is Kimberly with an extract from Black Girl, No Magic. Hey, I'm Kimberly McIntosh, and I'm super excited to be reading exclusively for the listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, Black Girl No Magic. 
This reading that I'm about to do is from the first essay, which is called Middle Class Safari. And it's about how race and class in the UK intersects to affect what our lives look like, so how well you do in school, the kind of school you go to, if you go to university or not, how you're treated in the job market, a bit of everything. But it's also funny sometimes too. The essay starts with me getting a scholarship to a private school in the countryside in Berkshire. But I'm from a working class, single parent family. And I'm starting to figure out that people who go to private school are pretty weird, actually, and they like really weird stuff. And so this extract is about me figuring that out. My new school had an unusual microclimate that didn't follow the national pattern. One afternoon, Mum was driving me home from school, from the Berkshire countryside to our estate, in our beat-up Peugeot 206. Celia is going to see Abba with her parents. Everyone thinks it's cool, I said, recounting the day's events in the art room. There is nothing cool about Abba Kim, nothing at all. I didn't believe her at the time. Now I know the truth. Abba's songs bang, but cool, they are not. Only in a parallel universe could this be claimed and go unchallenged. Even by the end of my time at prep school, no one listened to Kanye West. I listened to Nas on my mini-disc player and would trade it for the Red Hot Chili Peppers because only one other guy had a mini-disc player, and that's what he listened to. During this cultural apocalypse, where everyone's parents seemed to listen to progressive rock, no one had heard of Blackstreet or actually any 90s R&B except Usher and Destiny's Child. Maybe TLC at a stretch. Some garage cut through, thanks to So Solid Crew's 21 Seconds. But no one seemed to know where the party was at, got weak in the knees, or gave it up for the west side. Cash ruled everything around them, but no one had the cream. Working knowledge of dancehall was unthinkable, although Sean Paul had become popular. Straight bops no one had heard of. Tevin Campbell, Can We Talk? I, Wayne, Can't Satisfy Her. Mr Vegas, Heads High. Blackstreet, entire discography. Someone asked if I meant Backstreet Boys. Next, too close. Cameo, Candy. Beanie Man, Dude. Bone Thugs and Harmony, Crossroads. Not the Blazing Squad version. There were things to learn from my years in the bastions of middle-class culture. I got a working knowledge of landfill indie music over the years. I got to go to Italy and attempt a sketch of Michelangelo's David and climbed a mountain in the Alps which is pretty cool. And at least everyone watched EastEnders. The comedy show Blackadder baffled me. Blackadder is a BBC One pseudo-historical British sitcom that ran for four series between 1983 and 1989. It was written by the kings of middle-class culture, Rowan Atkinson, Richard Curtis, and later, Ben Alton. And until 2001, I had never heard of it yet teachers and pupils mentioned it repeatedly. At least that's how I remember it. Memories of how you stick out tend to be stickier. At some point during 2001 to 2003, I would stumble across the show with my mum. We had recently got Sky Digital as a divorced parent version of Pocket Money from my dad. Flicking through the Woolworths pick and mix of channels, there it was, Black Adity. People at school watch this show. The teachers love it, I told mum. Let's watch a bit. I bet it's rubbish. We lasted three minutes. It was a long three minutes with a lot of period costumes. 
You don't have to be of a particular social class to enjoy Blackadder, but the cultural reference points it relies on are based knowledge of historical events, particularly from the Regency and the Elizabethan period in its earlier seasons, can make it hard to follow if you don't have the required mental shortcuts. For this to be popular with 10 to 13 year old children is weird. It wasn't just music and telly where my reference points were a bit off. There were lots of things that didn't make sense to me, particularly the art of doing things just because. People's parents would do a full shop at a waitrose just because. People would go on Caribbean holidays, not because they had family there, but just because they fancied it. They'd return hair in braids with hair ties at the ends to stop their straight strands from unravelling. At sports day, parents would rock up with hampers. Fizz popped and guffaws ruffled the air with abandon. Gazebos were erected and mini barbecues were lit. Why wouldn't they just sit on a picnic mat with a homemade sandwich, like normal people? I also couldn't fathom the obsession with dogs. They loved their dogs. Why do they all know every breed of dog? Oh my God, is that a cockapoo cross? I'm sorry, what? Why would you know that? Some kids even defended hunting foxes for fun, parroting their parents' views overheard at the dinner table. It was in the process of being partially banned by the government at the time. Being posh means you can do the same things regular people do without being scolded, publicly shamed, or having government departments start inquiries about it. You can do totally batshit stuff and everyone looks the other way. Things posh people are allowed to do without judgment. Have tattoos. Have lots of dogs. Have lots of kids. Live in council flats in large urban centres, normally paid for with parental deposit. Wear tracksuits and gold hoops. Wear costume jewellery. Have a deep, raucous laugh. Have names that lots of people can't pronounce or spell. Look scruffy and unkempt in public, e.g. holes in clothes and shoes. Be racist. Shop in charity shops. Wear second-hand clothes. Murder foxes for sport. Do drugs. Be an alcoholic. Be unemployed. Vote for Brexit. They'll just say they're a libertarian. Be violent. For example, the student studying medicine at Oxford who stabbed her boyfriend in the leg and threw objects at him, an offence that would normally carry a custodial sentence. The judge, Ian Pringle QC, faced criticism when he suggested she could potentially be spared a prison sentence because of her academic record, referring to her as an extraordinarily able young lady. Be loud. Be emotionally constipated. Be average. Mum made it clear there were things that I could absolutely not get away with. When I got a school report that was mostly complimentary, but said I had been talking a bit too much in class, she set me straight. These kids were going to grow up and their parents were going to help them in ways that she couldn't. They would get them jobs, invest in their fledgling businesses, or make important introductions. They could afford distraction. In other words, I was broke and black and governed by a different set of rules. It was the well-worn chorus of the you have to work twice as hard talk, the soundtrack to black childhood across the Western Hemisphere. And for a moment, I hated her because I knew it was true. Thank you for joining us, Kimberly, and we cannot wait for our listeners to discover everything your book has to say when they get their own copies. 
And of course, you can get your copy of Black Girl No Magic, which is published by Borough Press from all good independent bookshops. It's got a fantastic lilac cover, so it's very easy to spot. And if you want to support what we do here at the Literary Salon, then you can buy it from our shop on bookshop.org. And also, don't forget, register for your local library um, because you can ask for them to, to get a copy of it in. So, unsurprisingly, this book has been compared to Trick Mirror by Gia Tolentino and Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. So if you've enjoyed those books, you're going to love this. Please share this episode with folk you know who are going to love it and maybe challenge folk you think wouldn't. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the summer, if it is summer where you are, and join us again soon. Bye.